cast for Jean Jones, the Manhunter from Mars, his world, and the vile menagerie of villains he must confront. How much pain can you take, alien Jesus? The Manhunter from Mars is painfully torn apart inside the super collider thingamajiggy. The Justice League is shot, and in some nebulous place, a group of white-skinned Martians note, Emily's dead. They question what's going to become of the Epiphany. What's up the Red Rising now? DC Comics proudly presents the Martian Manhunter in Different Worlds. A multi-armed red-skinned Martian with spikes on his shoulder and a slightly more human but also more malevolent look on his face appears before the four white Martians. You have been silent for so long we thought you were dead. No. You don't get to be that lucky. You're born, don't get to be that lucky. I've been hidden, shall we say. You were right about one thing. Blueman was a coward. He said with you were born, rather than having to make the hard choices, the painful choice. A coward remains a coward, always. He will not hit himself. Blueman is not gone. It is dispersed. That is all. Their world shall yet be the tone of blood. That you are caught of dirt. Their world will be our oceans. Ocean blood magic shall rise forth. The red rising. Soon, the uh, bush shall stick again. The epiphany has begun the process. Their lives spilled and gushed. A portal partly open. The weapon simply waits to be reshaped, reborn. He has spread it across their planet to try and stop us. Hunt it down. The White Martians recognize that the weapon is much more powerful than them. So Ma'alifa Ak decides to use Black Martian magic, the anti-red. As individuals, you cannot beat the weapon. But together, you are shapeshifters after all. So shift. Against their will, quite painfully, the Martians are merged into one gestalt being that's all muscle and teeth. A weapon is needed to best a weapon. The Earthborn shall tremble and weep. The Martian Marika walks among them. At Central University Hospital in Washington, D.C., the disabled child, Leo, sits in a hospital bed but continues to taunt Agent Russell, asking him unnerving personal questions. Eventually, it's more than Russell can take, and he leaves the room, calling superiors and asking to be taken off of the guard detail that he had initially assisted to be a part of. His superiors agree, but then a ghostly image of John Jones appears before him. You have to run now. The man you just spoke to is coming here to take you and use you to commit genocide. He has very recently discovered who you really are. Bolin is not human. You must not allow yourself to be captured. Daryl Wessel, I am very sorry. I so wanted you to be real. Daryl had been thinking about his brother who lived in Baltimore. He'd been thinking about childhood incidents. He'd been thinking about a life that he had not lived. There was no Daryl Wessel. Recalling an assertion made by Leo, Wessel goes down into the hospital morgue and sets the corpse of Leo's mother on fire. Even though he knows that it's the end of his life and his career, once he lights up the corpse, he realizes the truth in the words that have been spoken to him. The corpse shapeshifts back into a white mark. 
Martian. Daryl's superiors arrive, and it turns out they are in fact white Martians who had been living amongst humanity for some time. They also prove less than successful at handling a head-on collision with an ambulance driven by Wessel with Leo in the back. They make it a ways down the road before the Martian man-eater arrives. Things look bleak, and then there's a tapping sound. Mr. Biscuit strikes a pose, and his child companion states, uh uh-huh. give him biscuits, or he's gonna mess you up good. The man-eater roars and attacks. No biscuits. Sad Mr. Biscuits laments this. Ah, the sugary ennui, the confectionary-based pathos. Bum-tilly, bum-tilly, woe is me. Crumbs everywhere there will not be. Mr. Biscuit's cane becomes a shifting weapon. It temporarily holds the man at bay, but doesn't appear to do any damage. However, suddenly the giant white beast is lifted up into the air at a gesture from Mr. Biscuits. Oreo, up we go. The entire group piles into the ambulance, and Mr. Biscuits urges, Manitor is only stunned. Drive, please, with haste, great alacrity, all that. Ah, who the hell are you? Don't be the dumb cookie now. I'd have thought that was obvious. I'm John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, and so are you. Martian Manhunter number three was very much a turning point in the book. It had previously seemed like the primary point of the story was to have this Martian invasion take place, and it felt like the actual Martian Manhunter was getting pushed aside to allow for this new supporting cast, guest stars, and so forth. What few probably saw coming was that all of those supporting players were, in fact, the Martian Manhunter. The African-American FBI agent, Daryl Wessel, only represented a side of John Jones. He's the investigator, and in terms of his very basic superficial physical form you could recall the portrayal of john jones by phil morris in smallville for instance then you've got the disabled child leo who exists inside of his head he doesn't have the physical capabilities but he is the oracle for the other characters he's the one who is the most in tune with the plot that the martian manager is enacting and that recalls to some degree his role in the jla where he was often the guy who took a tumble who was not the physical powerhouse he ought to have been by comparison to the other great, powerful JLA members, but he was still the guy who mentored even greats like Superman and Batman and kept a hands-off approach with the Justice League Task Force. Leo is also the more acerbic one, which recalled to some degree the John Jones of the JLA. Finally, we have Mr. Biscuits, and he's the goofier, funnier, cookie-obsessed side of John Jones, who dressed a lot more like the classic detective than any of the other versions of the character that we've seen in, in this incarnation of the book. And also, once he takes off his potato sack mask you see that he is sort of an elephant man version of john jones he's deformed and doesn't appear to have control over his shape-shifting abilities which i wonder perhaps points to the natural form martian or the contortions the character has been through over the course of his various interpretations in comics but again most specifically he's the one that's the easiest to like the easiest to care for out of these incarnations of martian man we've seen in the book which again recalls jli so i imagine that right Rob Williams, rather than try to figure out which version of John Jones to develop in his new series, decided to go with the new perspective of giving us as many different versions of John Jones at the same time as possible through these varying incarnations. So in case you haven't been able to follow it over the course of the comic or the podcast, especially through all thy goofy voices and filters, basically John Jones was a weapon created by the White Martians to enable them to take over Earth and turn it into a new version of Mars. John Jones's past history 
history as a widower or even as and as the last Martian of his kind were fabrications. They were cover stories for him being this developed weapon who, because he has his own conscience, has gone AWOL. And in order to keep himself from being, you know, detonated or employed by the Martians, he's split himself into a variety of different seemingly human forms and hidden these various versions of himself about the Earth to keep himself from being exploited and employed against a people that he's come to love. It's an interesting premise and it's one that is highly specific to this character. You couldn't do that with virtually any other superhero in comics. So that's a point in his favor. Another thing I like about this take on the character is that while a lot of people very much like the John Ostrander run on the only other Martian Manhunter eponymous ongoing series, I always had a major bone of contention. Well, quite a few of them actually, but one was that Ostrander made a point of mentioning in interviews how he wanted to explore duality with the Martian Manhunter. He wanted to see a society that was one thing and another thing. So dichotomy, but also a a binary approach to the Martians, which never made sense to me because if most superhero comic books are about duality, they're about a person, one person, one identity, and then a supplemental identity and how these two egos clash over the course of the comic book series, the complications that come from living a dual life. That's not something that works for the Martian Manhunter or at least it doesn't separate him from any other heroes if you work on a binary scale. But if you work toward multiplicity, if you show that John Jones can have a multitude of lives that are completely contradictory, completely different from one another, and yet he ultimately ends up taking on one singular form, that is distinctive to this character, and I think that's more worthy of exploration than Ostrander's take. This issue also does a better job than the previous ones of ratcheting up the tension, ratcheting up the suspense, the action elements, the horror elements. Uh, number three was really following on, on all cylinders in a way that the previous two issues weren't able to. And I'll confess that I didn't see the twist coming, so that was a nice surprise as well. Eddie Barrow's artwork is really gorgeous in this issue. He occasionally does something that I, I don't know if he's doing it with pencil and then somebody else is coming in and coloring it, but he'll have solid ink lines for real world characters and then when they interact with John and a version of Mars that's projected behind him, it looks sort of like map pencils. And there's a great shot when Dura Wessel finally realizes that he doesn't really exist where his head splits open and the planet Mars is contained within his skull. His head seriously getting messed with and the visuals do a great job of representing that. I really can't say enough good things about the art team of Barrows, Ferreira and Altabe. One thing I do have to uh, criticize though is the representation of Daryl Wessel is sometimes a bit problematic. His features are sometimes a little overly caricatured and especially when he's sweating bullets about to light the mother's corpse on fire. It, it conjures up some imagery that's familiar to anyone who knows about the portrayal of African Americans in Western media and uh, they're not the most flattering elements. But still, this is a book with a far more diverse cast than most anything else on the stands, so it's hard to take shots at it. One other thing, too, is that this book reintroduces Ma Alifa Ak, as I've tended to pronounce it, as created by Ostrander and Mandrake. Cartoon fans are going to be more familiar with the name as Malifa Ak, as it was rendered in the Justice League Doom animated movie, or Malefic, if you just want to say something that sounds remotely like something a human being would normally say in the English language. So in the old continuity, this was John Jones's evil twin brother. That doesn't appear to be the case here in part because so far the book seems to be continuing to assert that John Jones is a creation, a weapon of the Martians and not a living being with with a history that's true 
of his own, in which case it's possible that his mind was interpreting one of his co-creators and an undeniably evil-looking being as familial and adulterated. So perhaps he created a Malafa'ak in his mind and in his fabricated history to represent this co-creator, who is a threat to all life and reality. But one thing that is nice about this version of Malafa'ak is that, once again, he is against all Martians, green and white, and he's still definitely a scary dude. I'm not a big fan of the redesign of the character, though. It's just kind of dopey. He just looks like a generic, demonic being. And in general, I don't like Eddie Barrow's white Martians as much as I did previous incarnations, particularly Howard Porter's take on them. It was a great design from the late 90s. And they also make Malafa'aka Sorcerer, which I'm not very fond of either. I think there's enough magic users in comics it's already an unpopular and controversial area of comics, and John Jones already has a tough enough row to hoe as it is. I also really like the idea that they was put forth in the Ostrander series that Malefic played around with areas that were beyond science, that were certainly beyond anything that would be ethical for the work he did as a scientist. So I like that sort of alchemical quality where it's just a different kind of science and maybe something darker, some, some uh, adulteration of Martian science that he employed that we would never quite know where the line was drawn. Not necessarily sorcery, but some form of science that was unknown to even the Martians. So I I like that quality that Malefic had when you full-on have him casting spells with his four arms. It's just not as tasty. Also, the Martian Man Eater, while a cute name and recalls 60s novelty songs, creating this gestalt being did remind me an awful lot of Cabal, a mix of red and white Martians that appeared in the Ostrander Rings of Saturn arc. I assume that this was intended as some sort of a callback to that. And I guess ultimately this will probably end up being a throwaway villain anyway if uh, to a large degree Mr. Biscuits was able to handle him, at least in this issue. But we still haven't seen a Martian threat that seems to warrant the extreme measures that the Martian Manor took to keep himself out of their in- circle of influence. So. But still overall the book is much better at this point and as of issue 3 I would have far fewer reservations about recommending it to someone either a hard hardcore fan or a more casual reader. And I think that that recommendation could only be beneficial. In the top 100 charts, Marshmaner number three only dropped a few places from Marshmaner number two. It's at 108th, but the sales drop was a bit more significant. It sold almost 2,500 copies less than the preceding issue. To get some perspective on that, it's selling several thousand copies less than Sinestro number 14, a book that's, again, had over a year under its belt. It's selling less than Justice League United, which was recently canceled, but more than likely was canceled because there's a higher expectation of a book with Justice League in the title than 24,000 copies. It was also outsold by Constantine and Red Hood Arsenal, which were also on their third issues as part of the DCU promotional effort. But Black Canary, which is a much buzzier title than Martian Manhunter, is only selling less than 1,000 copies more than that book. So that's a bit of a silver lining. Martian Manhunter is outselling a number of middle to upper tier image books and hey it's beating the unbeatable squirrel girl so that's something it's also doing better than a number of dcu launches including dr fate justice league 3001 bizarro midnighter and it's absolutely slaughtering batmite so it's got that going for it your ego betrays you will you not listen to reason this won't end well for you we received retweets and favorites from Ange, Count Druncula, Danilo Santiago, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Dr. G Nerdologist, Eli Dale Perrin, Eternal Rage, Fantastiverse, Firestorm Fan, 
Illegal Machine, Jacob Edwards, Cord Industries, Luke Dobb, Mark Sweeney, Martin Gray, Oscar Blue Devil Olalde, Randy Caldwell, Randy Micah Smith, Ryan Daly, Siskoid, Sin at Alias Scarecrow, and Trucker Talk. We also received retweets from Between the Pages, DCU Movie Page, Dead as Hell, Floto Span, Guado Man, Keith G. Baker, Paul Kupperberg, Ryan C. at Trash Film Guru, Stephen Bachman, Tom Zoller, and the Uncanny X Cast, as well as favorites from Anthony Durso, Comic Blitz, David Golding Artist, Ed Moore at Indie Comics Fan and at Teal Productions, Inigo Montoya, Glenn Walker, It's Plastic Man, Jamie Carr, Joseph Crawford, Longbox Graveyard, Mythmaking, etc., Stephen Perry, and Ufta. Jacob Edwards wrote, Go listen to this wondrous podcast and pumps and Martian Manhunter in your brain. Hashtag hangin' green. Glenn Walker wrote, Listen to the Idlehead of Diablo podcast. If you love the Martian Manhunter, you'll dig this. And wrote of our episode covering Martian Manhunter number two, Glad to hear that this book is appealing to you more. Issue number three was a make or break for me and it roped me in. Now the somewhat scattershot first two issues make way more sense. I also keep hoping that Martians appear in the Supergirl show. And you also sent in a picture that'll run on the blog. The DC Universe gem action figure and the old DC Comics pocket superheroes Justice League of America meeting table featuring a little Martian Manhunter, which he found at Granite Con, if I recall correctly. Or no, it was the Boston Comic Con, I think. Martin Gray wrote, Thanks for another tremendous episode. The Alien Atlas would be proud. I have to say I'm a fan of the Ostrander Mandrake series. I'd certainly put it ahead of, say, New Frontier. Fun and pretty, but derivative. In any ranking of John's stories. Now, when is Zook going to co-host? Martin also directed us to a CBR article covering the New York Comic Con's Heroes to the Core panel, which featured DC co-publisher Dan Didio. It stated that Didio wrapped the panel by telling a fan that all things Martian, including Martian Manhunter and Miss Martian, will be a huge part of the DCU in 2016. We'll see. Martin's Too Dangerous for a Girl blog and Martian Manhunter comic book writer Rob Williams had a back and forth relating to an encounter Martin Gray had. The discussion started, I met Mr. Biscuits this week at a bus stop in Leith. He wanted one pound for chocolate digestives. It all kind of went downhill from there. Comic writer artist Lance Scheibe wrote, Love the idea behind your original plan to display your cast of favorite villains. Would still love to see it happen. Referring to a series of art jams I've been commissioning over the last few years, which of course you can see on the blog that he contributed to. You can check out his art on the blog. He drew Lieutenant Saunders, the original Commissioner Gordon type for the Martian Manhunter, as well as Alex Dunster, the first super scientist that Detective John Jones ever faced in his comics. Detective Comics number 228 to be precise. I've been doing roughly daily Twitter posts highlighting events that took place on specific dates over the course of the Martian Manhunter's 60th anniversary year. And Baker noted on the October 2nd, 1986 post that Martian Manhunter disbanded the Justice League of America and Vibe was murdered and responded, all in all, a bad news news good news kind of day mark sweeney wrote of the tweet on september 23rd 1998 marsh manhunter one million plunged into the abyss of time that that was the only issue he had though it's quite excellent guano man aka ultron is my elvis offered some twitter slash facebook love Comics Podcasting Goodness Roundup, Adam Murdo of Comic Geek Speak, Uncanny X-Cast, Andy and Michael Leyland at Hey Kids Comics, and Diablo Frank has released another episode of the Idle Heavy Diablo, a podcast dedicated to John Jones, which is, of course, very germane to my interests. And he was nice enough to give this page blog a wee shout-out to. Bless you, lovely Frank. I really liked your last episode, by the way. Lots of different voices reflecting on JJ. Great work. Dr. G, nerdologist at Pulp2Pixel, who has an Astro City podcast, by the way, you guys got to check out, wrote, A Martian Manor documentary would be cool. Firestorm fan of the Fire and Water podcast and an eponymous blog wrote, Great Martian Manor anniversary special. I was surprised to hear me and Dan Jurgens too. Ryan Daly, a.k.a. Count Druncula 
of the Flowers and Fishnets blog and podcast, wrote, been waiting for this episode for a long time. Not, you know, not 60 years, but still a long time. As if Diablo Frank hasn't suffered enough putting together an astonishingly comprehensive Martian Manor 60th anniversary podcast, he also helped me cover some thankless secret origins tonight. Amazing job with the anniversary coverage, Frank. The amount of information and resources packed into this production is awesome. There was so much here, so it'll take me a little while to formulate all my thoughts. But the one thing I had to respond to right away was the David Goyer clip at the end of the episode. Holy shnikes, I've read excerpts and transcripts of that panel, so I knew what was said, but I don't remember ever hearing the whole thing. That was bizarre, and not just because of Goyer's comments. The other two guys that seemed to be guests or moderators came across as juvenile, ignorant, flippered gibbets, who sounded sort of kind of starstruck, maybe, that they were so close to the writer of Batman Begins. Everything about Goyer's comments made me want to scream, of course, but the two other guys? Then I wanted to poke in the eyeballs and say, compose yourself, idiots. Act like you're worthy of this much attention. And for context, it was actually a panel of screenwriters, plus moderators who I think might also be part of the screenwriting community. There were actually a number of names on the panel, so it wouldn't necessarily have just been Goyer. But collectively, there did seem to be a bit of a frat boy mentality, so it might have been a bunch of writers who were overly familiar with each other and perhaps not very cognizant that there were a whole bunch of other people in the room and people who were doing that recording after the fact. But that one guy who said overpowered like 17 times, that guy needs to go. Since Ryan references the Secret Origins podcast and my appearances on it, which even though this episode is probably going to be running later than any of us would like, uh, it's still an upcoming episode of that show. But if you want to see me pal around with Ryan, you can listen to episode eight where I featured in the Doll Man segment. Plus me and the LMAC turn up in a small cameo in secret origins podcast number 13 sort of kind of covering johnny thunder Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary wrote, Go listen to the Martian Manhunter 60th Anniversary Podcast. Unbelievable work here. Brilliant and comprehensive. He continued, Incredible podcast. Like Ryan Daly, there was so much to consume here that my mind is reeling a bit. The fact that you were able to get so many creators who had worked on John to answer questions and provide backstory is fantastic. And then adding in quotes from other creators really made this feel like a true anniversary special. I am truly amazed. And is it me or did you pronounce J.M. Dematteis name differently each time? It is from you that I learned that it it should be thought of as J.M. Matisse. And uh, yeah, I'll offer a little clarification here. Illegal Machine was working my portable mixer when we were recording the interview with Mr. Demateus. And after the interview, he and I discussed the pronunciation of the name. And we determined at that time that we were pronouncing it correctly by saying Matisse. Then I went back and edited the interview for the anniversary podcast and... At one point, the writer pronounces his own name, and even though I'd been using the Dematisse throughout the podcast in the initial recordings and had been mentioning that on Twitter, I was wrong, Mac was wrong, and when the 60th anniversary podcast was going to be a three-plus-hour extravaganza, I turned it into a running gag, and then I split the episode in half, and you lost the punchline to the running gag. It'll turn up when I put out part two, which is still going to happen. Seriously, the stuff's already been recorded. I just got to go in and edit it a little bit more. I'm trying to keep the second half under two hours, guys. We don't want to go for a four-hour total, so... Sean McLaughlin, former Aquaman comic book writer and a writer and producer of many of your favorite DC cartoons, as well as other people's cartoons, wrote of Martian Manhunter, he doesn't look a day over 45. Finally, Luke Dobb wrote, hats off to you for a spectacular 60th anniversary special. A lot of love went into that and it shows. Great episode. He also offered an Alien Atlas pinup and a brief tribute to both the character and to me. Uh, I'll read it now. 
At long last is John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. I've been ready to create this illustration for several months. I was so glad to finally have an open weekend and the time to do this personal work. Martian Manhunter is my wife's favorite character. I think it's because of her ability to look at circumstances from an outsider's perspective. She became a fan of the character through Bruce Timm's Justice League cartoon. Can you blame her? When I told her I would be illustrating a Martian Manhunter superhero profile, her response to me was... It's about time. This piece is dedicated to my wife, Jenny, and to Diablo Frank, the blogger behind the Martian Manhunter blog and podcast. The first time I encountered Frank was as a guest on the Fire and Water podcast, a terrific podcast for lovers of Firestorm, Aquaman, and the DC Universe at large. Frank completely overwhelmed me by his fast-talking exposition of the character's history. I have since come to love his guest appearances on the show and faithfully follow Frank's own series of podcasts. He's a great podcaster, and you have to respect his encyclopedic knowledge of comics. If you check out the blog, you can see Luke Dobbs, DC Profiles, Martian Manhunter art, it's boss and also Dob has contributed to the fire and water podcast as well with some excellent music if you check out episode 74 he figures into the official soundtrack album of the podcast with the tracks two of a kind child of a lighthouse keeper my personal favorite and the equally awesome oceans rise podcast listeners should feel free to leave a comment on one of our blogs either the umbrella rolled spine podcasts or the specific idol head of diablo blog both are available quite easily through Google searches. You can also shoot me a tweet at Commander Blanks. That's B-L-A-N-X. Thank you for listening.